In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 285. That's right. We are covering Green Lantern's issue numbers 22 through 24. Lost in space! <laughs> that wasn't bad, actually, for us. Yeah, it's so hard to get things synchronized it on is. Skype. <laughs> but that was pretty uh, good. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're doing uh, Green Lanterns 22 through 24. Mark is taking 22 and 24, and I'll take the middle with 23. Um, and uh, this is the story where they finally get some friggin' training. So uh, Better you know. late than never. <laughs> That's right. Maybe. So, <laughs> so uh, Mark, go ahead, man. Take it from here. All right, so I get I get part one. Uh, my cover, anyway, has Jessica seemingly without the ring on her hand. Starting to lose her green energy powers as she's reaching for the ring. I do like that, that cover. It, it's good. That is the retail cover. Yes, it is. Uh, of these three covers, I own. I have the alter, Apparently, I have the uh, alternate cover for number twenty-three, since that's the only one I have without the Lost in Space banner on the top. The uh, alternate cover for this one is them in uh, uh, drifting around in space, smash droids around them, uh, Simon and Jessica, and. They're in their suits, but the thing is, they're skeletons, but only their face is a skull. They have their arms and, like, everything else. It's just them in their regular suits, but only their face has been replaced by a skull. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And at least it's not a Kevin Nolan cover. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see that did you see that cover? I think it was for the the late the last issue of Green Lantern, Hal and the Core, with Sora and Hal. It looked so horrible. I think that was the the variant cover. Oh my god, they looked horrible. I, I don't think have, I've seen it yet. I think I saw it in I think I saw it in the preview, the digital preview of the of the issue. Because as we know, what's really annoying, depending on where you get your previews of a certain comic book, that half the time, like five of the pages they get show, they show you are freaking variant covers sometimes. It's like, oh, we don't care. <laughs> give us some meat if you're going to give us a preview. Um, yeah, but if you... We'll, we'll try to dig it up by the time we start covering that story, but yeah, it's it's a pretty bad cover. Um, creative team, of course, Sam Humphreys, uh, Ronan Cliquette, Art, Hi-Fi Color, Dave Sharp Letters, Mike McCone and Jason Wright did the cover. Emanuela Lupacino and Michael Atea did the variant cover. And Marino, assistant editor. Mike Cotton, editor. And he, he who shall not be named is remain the group editor. <laughs> Wait, did you say Mike McCone? Yeah. Is, is, has he been doing it all this time? I don't and, think and I, so. 
I don't think he's been doing it all this time. Okay, all right, because I'm pretty sure I recognize that name, but before I make an ass out of myself and say the wrong thing, I'm going to research it while you recap this issue. <laughs> Which means Chad won't be paying attention to anything I say, so maybe we'll sit here and hum for ten minutes. I actually, relatively speaking, like this arc, so I don't have to pay attention since I actually oh, remember what oh, happened. Oh, that's what <laughs> so, so, so I can actually time my nap, and I think if I wake up, I think I'll be able to jump in and instill something of relevance into the conversation. <laughs> well, I'm doing this on my phone, so you're piped directly into my eardrum, so it's going to be hard to ignore you. <laughs> I'll just have to stop and whisper every like five, ten seconds. <laughs> You're gonna make you're gonna make level later work overtime. <laughs> Alrighty then. So where we left off last issue was uh, basically Simon and Jessica were being called back to Mogo for training. So this is literally where we where we pick up pick up with a nice splash page of Jessica and Simon being pulled through space. Jessica being her typical calm self is like, "Ring, stop!" <laughs> And, of course, uh, first the ring says, uh, you know, central battery command override, proceeding to Mogo. And, of course, she makes the mistake of saying, this is an emergency stop now. And even Simon in his untrained uh, state realizes that they are less less trained than Jessica, or less trained in a regular Green Lantern state. That he even, he realizes that this is not a good move, but he tells Jessica not to do that. But at this point, it's too late. Simon's continuing on to Mogo. But because Jessica said the emergency stop, the emergency protocol is activated and it hits a full stop. So now Jessica realizes, hey, that wasn't the brightest move of all time. So she asks the ring, what's you know what sector she's in or where is she? And they tell her it's sector 0502. And then of course she asks, where's that? And the ring has to say, oh, sector 0502 is between sector 0501 and 0503. <laughs> and I kind of like the way the 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 ring when she's when it's saying that kind of looks like a lazy like a kind of like a lazy winky eye kind of it looks like an eye looking at her like a yeah you kind of getting what you deserve by asking that kind of question and Jessica's like who taught you to be a smart ass and it's like you did and again and it's like again you know where's home and here we have our first mistake sector 212184 um but the fuck is going on DC yeah comics. yeah that well, unless one of the editors is seriously dyslexic, yeah, that should have been caught right off the bat. Of course, this should be sector 2814, not 2184, or 2418, or anything. So, so I'm just going to interject just real feel quick. So our, I, I, was, our, I was waiting for you to, so feel free. So our, our friend Dwayne Feenstra, uh, he does – I mean he's uh, he's in like a bunch of different things. He does his, his own uh, comics works, but he also does – a podcast known as Final Issue. And Final Issue Podcast, I've spoken about it before, but in case you forgot, Final Issue Podcast is a podcast where Dwayne uh, and a couple of people he knows, all of whom work in the comic book industry in some capacity, discuss topics relevant to the comics industry. And you can, you know, they answer questions or whatever, but they use their insight and having worked in the industry to kind of general discussion like you and I do but from the perspective of people who you know have been in the business not necessarily their entire lives but know enough to know what they're talking about right so I sent them an email actually and they've been posting not very consistently but sporadically which you know it happens in podcasting uh, but I sent them an email and I said hey I would like you guys to cover this actually at some point 
What do from your perspective working in the industry does an editor do? And I and I specifically ask, you know, like in DC and Marvel you've got, you know, your editor, your assistant editor, your group editor. Like what is the job? What should be the job of all of these people? And I asked him. I said should there be like I kind of you know briefly explain the switch situation? You know I, I assume that Dwayne you know knows what I'm talking about anyways. He listens to the show or reads the comics or both you know uh, interchangeably whatever. So like I was basically asking him, look, are we founded in being upset at these things? And not necessarily just that, but like are we attributing blame to the wrong person? And now they haven't answered. They haven't like done that episode yet, but I'm assuming it's coming in the future. So keep an ear out for that if you want to. And I'll, I'll mention it again here when they actually release that. But I'd actually be curious to know, are we blaming even the right person there? Or I'm assuming we are because who the hell else would be catching this? Is it supposed to be the letterer? Like, is it the letterer's job to make sure everything is not only spelled right, but typed right you know is he are they responsible for checking their own work like you know so i asked i asked them and hopefully they'll respond but just so you guys out there are aware if you for some reason know the answer the real answer to this question because of abcd experience in the comic book industry you let us know because i would like to be blaming the right person and i'm pretty sure we are but you know, I don't want to be a complete and total closeted, you know, whatever, trying to assign blame to the wrong person. And I, I'm willing to learn about this, but somebody's to blame. And it seems natural to blame the editor because they're, in my mind, since I wanted to be a journalist for so long, to me, an editor does a very specific thing. And this is one of those things from my perspective of what an editor should be, from my perspective, this is something that falls under the editor's purview. So if you are out there and you know the answer, you shoot us an email, lanterncast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail, 708lantern. Because I know we're, we've been pretty critical for, on both of these titles for different reasons, but I'd like to have some validity in what we're saying. And if we're, some, if we're wrong, you let us know. But, yeah, this this is ridiculous. Like, we've talked about we've talked about our, um, you know, doing the Green Lantern Bible thing that should be a thing. When it comes to Green Lantern, other than like some relative stuff, you know, his name is Hal Jordan and blah, blah, blah. There are some things that shouldn't be messed up. The sector in which a Green Lantern operates is one of those things. The city that houses said Green Lantern, like Coast City, should be one of those things that's very easy to catch if it goes wrong. Among other things, like, you know, if a lantern is the wrong color, <laughs> so, or if they have the wrong symbol, or if the symbol's upside down, you know. <laughs> so, stuff like that. And, by the way, that symbol upside down thing... That has happened before on titles not attributed to the Robert Venditti era of Green Lantern. So just so you guys know that we're not completely Jeff Johns apologists here, 
<laughs> you know, there were errors during the Jeff Johns era. But to be fair, not quite as many as what's happening now. So I feel like everybody's just been slowly falling asleep at the wheel on the editor side of things. And that's why we call them out. <laughs> but there's my rant. <laughs> I, I, w- I was waiting for it, so <laughs> so that's good. Now, I would speculate on this. Now, unlike the first issue, like uh, the first, uh, either the first regular issue or the the Rebirth one shot here. Uh, unlike that, when they got uh, Yasmalt sector wrong, which I will, which I do, pretty much, I would blame Humphreys for that because he probably didn't know it. Because I don't, I would tend not to blame Humphreys for this because this looks like it's just a typo. It probably is a typo. Somebody transposed numbers wrong. So I, if I had to blame any, if, if there was one person who I, at least from a benefit of the doubt, doubt perspective, I would give benefit of the doubt to, in this instance, it would be Humphreys because he probably wrote the right sector and somehow it was written on the page wrong. Yes, but and the editor still should have caught it, of course. So, But I think the one, I could be naive and a cockeyed optimist here, but in this one I would say the person who I feel is least likely to have a hand in this is probably Humphreys. <laughs> Yeah, because that was probably just a typo. No matter who you know, where who, uh, one of those dyslexic moments, confusing numbers, or but you know, and 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 for the small thing, it bothered me, but I sort of in the back of my head, I gave it a slight pass, only because me personally myself, I have from time to time, maybe not out loud, but mentally, like had to recheck myself, like. Hold on a sec. Am I referring to Yusmalt or Riot? Yep. So I've gotten those two mixed up before in my own head. So I give that one slightly more of a pass because even as a GL fan, I'm like, wait, which one am I thinking of right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's it's a more neither neither one is really really overly acceptable, but that one is more. If you had to pick the lesser of the two evils, that's the one you pick. Yes. It takes. It does take like three seconds to Google it and find out that that one's in sector two eight one four and one's in six six six. But it's. But still, the point is, at least it's not. You know, anybody who like anybody who knows anything about Green Lantern tends to know that you know Earth is in sector two eight one four. So, but, but we digest. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, so <laughs> I'll let you pass this first page or two. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on page three. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> and, I, and I could have like, not given you the easy opening. I could have waited to. I could have waited to point out the mistake until the end of the issue. But I. I so sometimes you, you set yourself up for these things. <laughs> <laughs> so Jessica continues to have this back and forth conversation with her ring and about where they are and and why are we here. <laughs> And none of this makes any sense to me. And then the ring starts speaking Spanish, and it just—it's—it's it's just a barrel of laughs. Then, then Kyle comes in. Kyle shows up and goes, "Hey, my name is Kyle Rayner, and uh, I'm here to give you a hand." Hey, I just realized uh, I used to have your job. I'm sure. I, I hope he didn't just realize that. <laughs> um, but, no, but nonetheless, so Kyle and Jessica shake hands and they introduce themselves. And you know, Kyle is kind of like—he you know, tell you know more or less he. Just says, "Hey, disable the emergency protocols." And he says that out loud, and they are disabled. And they share a nice, they share a nice little moment here, and they start flying through space on their way, of course, inevitably to Mogo. But they start, but they start checking out. Uh, they see the star and everything, and they start heading towards this planet. 
you know, in general. And they just kind of the, the kind of like new kid on the block, former to current conversation about what it's like to be Green Lantern, especially when you really have no freaking clue what you're doing when you get the ring. So uh, they end up coming down to this planet that had recently been uh, dominated, but by discovered and dominated by the Dominators. And the Green Lanterns pretty much had rescued them and started rebuilding their planet. So Kyle, which is kind of an interesting statement that Kyle hadn't quite been put back on patrol yet, which is, in, which is, I guess it makes sense, but it's still, it just made me one, made me wonder when I first read it, uh, that because of his return to greenness, he hasn't been put back on regular patrol yet. Maybe because they haven't given him a sector yet too, potentially. But, you know, he's basically been working on this planet to help rebuild and all the aliens, you know, they they reach up and they wave to Jessica and to Kyle and, and Jessica's just like really, really happy that, you know, they're actually dealing with aliens that aren't trying to kill them. And Kyle tries to, you know, to basically give Jessica a pep talk, you know, it kind, of, it kind of does get, you know, it kind of gets easier, at least in the sense that, you know, in the beginning you always freak out over it, you know, but over time, you know. A lot of the things you do and you see will become a little more commonplace. Then they find, you know, then they basically start descending towards Mogo, and you see that, you know, Mogo sends up this huge Green Lantern signal into the sp- into space, coming off the big Green Lantern signal on him. And you know, she kind of like uh, the, you know, the Mogo speaks to them, welcoming both of them, and she's like, the planet talks. It's like, hey, well, you haven't you haven't seen. You basically you haven't seen anything yet, and then we get a cool double splash page on the surface of Mogo, Jessica, and, and Kyle flying on the surface with a bunch of other Green Lanterns all over the place. Uh, very Oa-esque, I thought, to me. Mm-hmm. It reminded me very, uh, very much of Oa. I miss Oa. I really think it's about time to bring it back. Uh, so while, as they're arriving, you know, Kilowog is sitting there making a construct beer. Uh, Along with Simon, and they're kind of like sharing, sharing this, this amusing. Uh, this, I, this this made me laugh just because it's really stupid that, that that Simon finds it funny. It's like, and then Atrocitus reached out and crushed my arm. <laughs> and Kilowatt kind of says it, kind of like sums it up nicely. It's like, Baz, you got guts, not much brains, but you got guts. <laughs> and Jessica then shows up, and she's all happy to see Simon. And I like I like Simon. I was afraid you got lost. Uh, so I, so he sent Kyle supposedly, but he wasn't he wasn't concerned enough to like wait. I gotta go back for my partner. Can I go back? Nah. Now to be fair, they probably wouldn't have let Simon go back, but it got it kind of did kind of seem like passing the buck a little. I sent Kyle to get you. Um. So Jessica and Simon have this little you know this brief moment. Did you see that? Did you? Yeah. And they and at this moment, uh, you know, pretty much Kyle and you know. Kyle makes it clear to you know Baz as they're shaking hands as you know that more or less your your happiness is gonna that smile is gonna be like wiped off your face real quick. A really cool drawing of Kilowog making him look very very intimidating, which we won't see that much of anymore with him blowing steam at his nose as he really tries to do a psych job on on Jessica, and of course you know Baz is like oh but you stop messing with her and everything. And she, then he explains, oh, he used to be our number one drill instructor back in the day. And that's when Kilowog goes, oh, yeah, Cruz, you haven't been trained, have you? And, and she's like, no, I've, been, you know, I've only you know, had the job for a couple of months. And just like that, you know, the uh, Green Lantern symbol disappears off her chest. The badge disappears off her chest. And she's back to having the white symbol that was introduced to the non-fully trained Green Lanterns. So 
Kilowog's like, no training, no lantern, that's the rule, but wait, and go, what is that? And then Jessica, Jessica kind of sees the, the central power battery, the green one, and of course, right next to it actually is the yellow one at the moment. And you have Sora flying by right, right on cue. <coughs> excuse me. And Sora's like, you know, I mean, excuse me, uh, Jessica's like, what is the yellow ba- battery doing there? And Kilowog's like, like, yeah, it's kind of confusing, but we essentially, you know, the yellows and the greens, we kind of join forces. You know, it's so. Uh, and it just so Je- Kellogg's kind of giving her a walking tour of some of some of the surface of Mogo. She kind of she kind of bumps into uh, Lantern Quasratrell <laughs> of the Sinestro Corps, who who kind of gets a, a little bent at the fact that she violated his personal space. You know, Kilowog Kilowog steps in, and, and I kind of like that since we're still having we're, we still have to wrap up the Planet of the Apes. Green Lantern crossover in another month when the last issue comes out. I kind of like the way Kilowog kind of like mocks or apes, if you will, but um, bum. One of the adages from that series, how like apes shall never hurt, apes shall never kill ape, and he's like, Lantern shall never punch Lantern, or something like that. <laughs> um, basically, Kilowog helps because of his presence to, to potential to help. You know, he de-escalates the situation. Um, Simon helps Jessica up. And Kilowog's like, ah, hey, you know that does that's you know, just Quasitrail. He's a real pain in the butt. And here we go. Simon has to follow that out with, oh, it could be, couldn't be worse than Guy Gardner. Once again, continuing the annoying pattern of him picking on Guy for no reason. Um, <clears throat> Kilowog then kind of like points out that you know Guy is you know Guy is now right hand man to the boss around here, and. You know, Simon just oh my he just seems he seems completely shocked by that and now now we cut to the the uh, to the guardian what do they call the stupid thing again because they don't, uh, what it's not a citadel anymore right no, it's, it's above the, it's above the citadel but they don't actually t- we, they don't actually give us the the name they always tell us what it is in this uh, but either way. Like the thing in Green Lantern, in the, in, in the movie where all the Guardians were hanging out, that's pretty much where we are here. Uh, Raimi slash uh, Volthoom crashes. Uh, I do like the fact that he's carrying that he has coffee in his bag. I kind of think that's that's kind of funny. Uh, but uh, so he he arrives and at at the moment he uh, Raimi slash Volthoom kind of like sees some shadows lurking. Through the clouds, and he's and he's all ready to fight because he fi- he kind of thinks somebody's figured out you know his disguise pretty much, and how he's determined he won't go back into the chamber of shadows. Now we hear "Stay your hand, brother," and we see it's Ganthet and Sade, and of course it, this is interesting too that of course Rain uh Volthum recognizes Ganthet, but he doesn't recognize Sade. So that again goes back to the whole continuity of of no female. So it seems like they're trying to reestablish that there weren't female guardians back. I think in that time period. Uh, so, uh, Volthum kind of says, you know, of all the guardians, it had to be the most intrusive, the most sanctimonious of them all. I I almost killed him twice. If he knows my secret, I'm dead. And. Ganthet is kind of trying to make as much small talk as Guardians do. Like, Raimi, how long it's been? Not long enough. Which didn't seem to be that much of a reaction for Ganthet to say, as emotional as ever, as ever, Raimi, I should not be surprised. And now we, 
And now we have a little conversation between the two of them, which is yet another potential continuity problem, which we won't get into until at least the issue ends, about how uh, Ganthus maybe 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 it was appropriate that he was labeled as being sanctimonious because <laughs> as he as he stands before the Raimi slash Volthum and goes, Sade and I are the last guardians left, which of course we know <laughs> that shouldn't be the case. So. Volthum is upset about this, that the Guardians are all dead, because the point was he really wanted his revenge. But, you know, he still he still has, you know, bigger plans deep inside for what he wants to do. Now, Rain, uh, Ganthic kind of points out that the Green Lantern rings are not functioning properly. Pretty much when a Green Lantern is t- taken out, that the rings are not going out to find... Uh, they're, they're not coming back with any new recruits. They pretty much are, are just... Never, they're going out, but they're never heard from again. So you created the first Green Lantern ring. Perhaps you know you can, you can uh, basically solve the problem. I, I like the way that Raimi's giving him a hard time, and Raimi, the Raimi Volthum combo goes. You know, I don't suppose you've kept my files all this time. And it's like, yeah, they they were they were sealed away upon your banishment, but they have survived intact. I can take you to them. And he's like, perfect. Which raises some questions too, which we'll talk to about what. At some point, uh, Simon, you know, Simon seeks out Jessica, and Jessica just doesn't seem. She seems kind of eh, either somewhat depressed or just in just uncomfortable about this. And you know, Jessica just kind of like goes off. It's like, you know, does anyone say good job? No, they just demote me like I'm nothing. You know, I dare anyone to say that I haven't earned the right to wear that lantern. And and just at that moment, John Stewart shows up. They're like, I will. It's like Lantern Cruz, Lantern Baz. I was told one of you was bringing me decent coffee. Of course, um, that was Raimi. Uh, and Simon's like, no one tells us anything, John, or should I say, core leader Stewart. It's like, what are we doing here? And John's like, oh, I needed that coffee. And it's like. It's like, you want the right to wear that lantern? It's like, I'm giving you the chance to earn it. You know, you, you, it's like, you have served with courage under trying circumstances. No one can take that away from you. But you have not undergone training, so you pretty much need to. And so at this, at this point, I like this. Uh, Simon is, is waiting. You know, Simon seems to think he's going to get Hal, like he wants Hal. And, and, uh, <laughs> John's like, no, Hal Jordan, uh, hell no. It's like, you two are here for training discipline, not for loose cannon lessons. It's like, which is still funny considering one of the people that's brought in here. It's like, I've got something different in mind. Meet your trainers. And then we find out that, uh, it's Jessica's going to be teamed up with Guy, and Simon's going with Kyle. Next issue, training day. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Mike McCone. I've actually interviewed him. At least you know I've, why he sounded familiar. Well, yeah, uh, I, I interviewed him in one of our Wizard World uh, episodes from uh, Wizard World Austin, I think in 2012. Uh, I'll pull up that episode number later, and we'll I'll just reference it, and you guys can listen to that if you want. Um, so, Mike McCone, uh, you said you like the cover of this one. Do you like the cover of the next one? I don't have the regular issue. The regular well, that's cover. right. So... Part of the reason you might might like the cover is guess what other cover he did that I know you like. Give me a hint. Parallax. In oh was it was it uh it wasn't any it wasn't any of the Venditti stuff right? 
No, this is we're talking parallax, OG parallax. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, God, that could be a lot of things. Was it wasn't an Emerald Knights, was it? No. Right. He did the cover for the Parallax one-shot during Final Night. Ah, which is ironic because I actually don't like that cover. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, which is mind. probably why it didn't uh, dawn on me right away. I thought about that. As you started to talk, I had a feeling that's the cover you were going to say. But, yeah, that, that, that wasn't my – it's not a bad cover, but it's not my favorite look of Parallax. I didn't like – I never liked the art. He looked a little too bulky in that issue for me for a lot of – and the, and the cover kind of was like that too, but but I do like that. Being said, no, I really like the cover of Green Lantern Twenty Two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that that being said, he does have another tie to the uh, to the Green Lantern universe, and it was actually during Jeff Johns's run. Now, do you happen to have any idea whereabouts he would have done that? Was that the, the Kyle Parallax one shot? No. Uh, he did three issues during the Jeff Johns run. He did the issues where um, Lara was on trial. Oh, okay. So that starts with, I think, 26, which is the, you know, who are the Alpha Lanterns, you know, thing. And then those two issues featuring Lara on the cover. So he did those three issues, the interior art for those. That was pretty so, good. Yeah, so I just thought I'd, you know, he he does have some Green Lantern sh- uh, stuff going on. I did want to bring that up because I did interview him. It's just, you know, Mike McCone, I, I associated with comics, I was like 98% certain <laughs> that was the person. But with name with a name so, uh, I, I don't want to say generic because that sounds, you know, like I'm insulting the guy, but with a name relatively common like that, I was like, maybe there's another Mike McCone who works in comics. <laughs> so I thought I'd look it up. But yeah, he did work on those. And uh, evidently, he was also on the Green Lantern Volume 3 80-page Giant, number two. Hmm. Um, but I don't know which story he would have done in, done in that. But uh, yeah, he did the Parallax Emerald Knight thing. Um, but he did work on it with Jeff Johns for a long time on Teen Titans. So... There's that. He's got a lot of uh, what was I going to call it? It's uh, a lot of Marvel work too, as well. But anyways, um, so I thought I'd bring that up. Now, I kind of want to skip to midway through your story here because I love the spread of them flying through Oa. Mogo. Oh yeah, Mogo. That was my fault. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> because it looks like Oa. So. This is definitely not Chaselon because Chaselon's dead, but I can't remember the name of the being from the same planet who replaced him. But that's Chaselon species, right? The, dis- the disco ball lantern? I believe so, yes. Okay. Uh, the other one with the fishbowl on his head, that is... Uh, Koya, whatever, the- something. Y- yeah, it's... Uh, ne- not, not Takoya? Not, not, no, yeah, something like that. Not Takoya. Not, not, not Kaloi or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the reason I know that is partly because in that wave of figures, he had a swappable head with the other lantern you see kind of front and center on this page, Green Lantern Metaphil, which is the one eye with the tree stuff coming out of his head. Uh, there's Tomar 
uh, Tomar 2 in the background, kind of over there, so that's cool. You also see uh, there's Salak, Aresia. Um, now, also, you also have um, some of we, somebody we haven't seen in a while, Larvox. And he's the guy to the left behind uh, Metaphil. Um, so he's somebody we haven't seen in a good long while. Now, I looked it up because I wanted to get like some information well, before I do that. Right next to Tomar 2 on the right, kind of the guy that you see kind of more in the foreground there, that's Vath. Uh, and part of the reason you can tell, look at his feet. Yeah, they're drawn correctly this time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is Izamot's feet because Vath lost his legs, and since uh, Izamot can regrow his, he donated his legs to Vath. So, that's that. I wonder, um, I wonder if that's how they can, they'll bring Izamod back sometime, because they'll take off the leg and he'll grow a new Izamod. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, there are two other lanterns on this page I recognize, but don't have the names for. First and foremost, that cricket-looking lantern. I know I know that lantern. That's a deliberate shout-out that I can't recall off the top of my head. The other one I recognize is this manta ray looking one, but I can't remember. Now, the other lantern that is really interesting, and I'm pretty sure I have the right one here. This one right here with the red hair next to the cricket lantern. You see her? Yep. Okay. That is, if I'm saying this right, Lysandra. L-Y-S. Lysandra. And... She appeared way back in Volume 2 of Green Lantern, back when Green Lantern had like the, the kind of Green Lantern core backups within it. And it was a, you know, its own Green Lantern title, but it had Green Lantern core backups in 168 and 169. And I read these stories once, once upon a time. So what I'm reading for you now is actually, um, is actually from, uh, another, uh, from a website, so, but it, it just struck a chord with me. It, it, there, I'm on uh, DC Wicca, and it says, "Note: Lysandra's story is one of the first GL stories to deal with religion as it might apply to a member of the Green Lantern Corps." So she's uh, a member of some religion, which I do remember that being an aspect of that story, but I just couldn't. I can't recall the specifics of it. And it, she actually has her own oath too. As I touch this battery, flow the power into me, guide my hand, my heart, my soul, make right and justice my lasting goal in the name of Thar. Amen. So she's from the era when we were kind of getting all those really different cool oaths that various lanterns would have for themselves. Uh, so that's interesting. Now, to be fair, on the DC Wicca, there's like six paragraphs going over a synopsis of kind of her origin, which I didn't have a chance to go over. But uh, you guys might want to, if you can hit, because these issues can be found in the back issue bins. No problem. Uh, at least in the ones I frequent, and I can find multiple copies. So that would be Green Lantern Volume 2, number 168, and number 169. If you can find those... Lysandra's story is in the back of that. But I just thought that was very interesting to see Lysandra in the background. There was another long-haired long, long redhead um, from back in the day. 
but her costume didn't have the leg piece, so her legs were bare. So when you see when I see the long flowing redhead with a full costume, that's what makes me think that's Lysandra. That's a good so that's catch. a that's a good call out uh, that they threw in there. Um, what do you think these green platform things are? Are they lights? Are they some sort of power source? Are they piles of rings <laughs> because the lanterns are still on a recruitment drive? Are they <laughs> like what is all of that? It's either got to be lights or maybe vegetation or something. I don't know what I I don't. It is kind of odd. This whole the whole the whole setup is kind of odd. It's a lot a lot more city like than you than I you normally normally think of when you think of Mogo. <laughs> John Stewart had <laughs> whipped up a ton of architecture That's plans, right. and and Mogo was like, "Yeah, I guess build a city on my face. That's okay." <laughs> I've had, he's had all those plans working in, in, like in a safe somewhere. I was like, if I ever get another architecture gig, this is what I want to do. It's like, oh. Okay. But I just want—I just wanted to bring all that up because I really like seeing that splash uh, and seeing some of those lantern callouts. Um, it's always cool to see lanterns like Metaphil and Larvox on in there. It'd be even cooler to see now. Don't get me wrong. I believe you know half of some of these lanterns are dead, obviously. But like um, Watlop Fan, which we have seen relatively recently, so it, you know it'd be cool to see him yet again. Uh, it'd be cool to see um, what was that? Uh, what was that uh, blob lantern? There's a guy that does a, a, a Green Lantern blog that, that we had on the show once who goes by the name. Oh. And I, uh, Flodo's fan. That's it. That's it. Flo, that's it. Flodo. I'm sorry. I didn't forget you, buddy. I, I just had a brain fart on what that name was. <laughs> so Flodo's fan. We didn't That'd forget cool you. We just forgot your name. <laughs> it's better. Yeah. Well, I guess. It's more better that way. <laughs> um. I like I like the pairing of Jessica and Kyle. I think that was a cool moment, especially considering you know they trade dance partners at the end of the issue. Um, but I like some of the art. I like when she's hanging around in space. I like how the, I mean, I don't think there's actually a section of space that looks like this, <laughs> so clustered with with galaxies and and nebula and shooting stars and planets and suns so close to each other, but. It's it's all inspiring, so that's cool. Uh, the way they, I mean, look how much detail they put into the sun. That is true. Like, that's cool. Um, I like running across, you know, kind of the the shout out kind of to uh, to the dominators there, and it kind of helps reinforce too, like that the Green Lantern Corps is active in the universe. True. You know because. You know, they fly over and they wave at him and they're all happy. Hey, Green Lanterns are coming to say hi. You know, all that. Um, I like Kilowog. He looks really good. I like yes, that. Does. Yeah, so that that's all really cool. Um, I, I like that Jessica gets upset that she lost her symbol and then gets put in her place about it. Um, she gets put, put in her place about it multiple times, actually. Um <sighs> I like the kind of run-in she gets with the Yellow Lantern Corps. The stuff with Raimi, um, interesting, I guess. But, 
the 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 one thing about this scene though um let's see where was it yeah ganthet myself and sade are the last guardians left yep all right I'm hopefully going to play a clip if I can get permission from a fellow Lantern podcaster. But on the off chance I don't get the permission to play that clip, I'm going to direct you to Myron Rumsey's uh, podcast of Oa, wherein he interviews Robert Venditti twice early on in the run of uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. I believe it's the second of those issues. I believe it's only available um, – in his iTunes podcast feed. I think it's episode 105, something like that. But anyways, there's a bit of a kind of lightning round of questions for Robert. One of those was about the Templar Guardians. And Venditti says, and this is around the time I think issue two had come out. Venditti says, nothing coming up super soon. But there are plans for the Templar Guardians. Now, I don't have that quote in my head verbatim, but he does specifically say that there are some plans for the Templar Guardians. I'm pretty sure he even says something about they're around. If they're around, why the hell does Danthit have the ability to say myself and Sade are the last guardians left especially since before they left they knew they were there <laughs> they knew the templar guardians were effing there <laughs> so what in the hell is going on with the templar guardians at this point it's such a frustrating thing for me that it's detracting from my enjoyment of these issues. Like, I just went through a list of some positive stuff I enjoyed about this issue. The splash page with all the lanterns, the art with all the cool space stuff, the Kilowog moment, the Jessica getting upset moment, blah, blah, blah. I got here, I literally set down my phone where I was reading this issue and went, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That is a verbatim quote. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it took me out of the issue that hard. So, like, what is going on? At this point, as much as I, it would irritate me to not know the specifics of how, I would just be happy, relatively speaking, <laughs> with an answer. Did they never exist? Did they exist and die somehow in the Lost Universe or before the Lost Universe? S stuff happened? Uh, what, what happened? Like, just that. I don't, you don't even have to tell me how. Or if they never existed, how does that make sense then? And what happened with Kyle? Did the whole thing of New Guardians happen? Or kind of like a version of it? Like... Don't get me wrong, guys. Even if they told us, I'd be like, well, I still want to know. But at least we'd have an answer. The hell is going on with the Templar Guardians? 
<laughs> At this point, it's like they're throwing it in my face and it's pissing me off. <laughs> so if I get permission to play that clip, I will do so right now. The the other new guardians, the, the ones that were you know, that, that were traveling with Kyle there for a while. The Templar Guardians. The Templar yeah. Guardians. I'm assuming they're still floating about somewhere. Yeah. That's true. They are floating about somewhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask specifics because I know if they're floating about somewhere, you're going to be using them somewhere down the road. And I really can't say what uh, are they going to do. I may, you know? yes. I you may, know. I may not. But they are definitely out there. They're not dead or anything like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, those answers will, will come at some point. But uh, not anything that I'm that I'm working on in the very near future. But, uh, yeah, that just bothered the ever-loving shit out of me when I read that. And the whole conversation between Raimi and the and the, the whole the, but this, the whole interaction between Raimi and Ganthet and Sade raises so many questions. And com- at least looking at it in just this one issue, from this, looking at the issue we have now and looking at everything we knew and have known going up to this issue, it creates so many problems. I mean, seemingly, again, they're reestablishing now that, you know, that's – all that said, you know, is basically a, a, cre- a creation of when, Ky- you know, essentially of when Kyle brought the Guardians back and mixed and mixed their genders and stuff, because she wasn't around back in, you know, that she wasn't back around, which is accurate, but you know, it, the fact that you know he has no he has no clue. I mean, it's not even like it's not even that, that the name doesn't quite ring a bell. The mere fact that she's a female. Just completely throws him off track, which means again that all the guardians were male back when Volthoom was dealing with them. So that, so that's interesting. The fact that Ganthet of all people is scolding somebody for being emotional when Ganthet was clearly the most emotional of all the guardians up to before the introduction of the Raimi character, and we know this isn't really Raimi, but the Raimi introduction. And just and just the fact that of course and this becomes this becomes problematic too when we get further along in the if we once we get to issue twenty five about as as we were told in in that in the uh, wrath of the first lantern story arc of why Ganthet supposedly was more emotional to begin with <laughs> what what the cause was of that and how that relates to Volthoom to begin with that this that kind of doesn't make any that it becomes really all screwed up too. Not that that was a good, ever a good explanation, mind you, but it doesn't make any. It's, but nonetheless, and then the, and just the way us Raimi is the Volthoom version of Raimi is talking. He just seems to like, just like he says, uh, "I was looking forward to that." Not even looking, I was looking. It's like what, 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 what is he? It was, are we supposed to be getting like the Rocky Balboa version of of, of the Guardians? It's like, hey, you know, I was looking forward to never seeing you guys again. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I, I so much of their conversation, and I'm still trying to figure out entirely, based at least based up until this point, how how can all these files and stuff really still ex? I mean, based on what we knew at this point, how can anything still exist? Because all everything would have existed on Oa, not Mogo. <laughs> now we do I get, don't know unless you get some sort of secret chamber hidden within Oa or within Mogo, kind of a thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But still, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We, know they, they, we know these things theoretically just exist, basically, and they just exist in existence. It's not like they really have to be somewhere, apparently, because realistically speaking, nothing that was tied, 
nothing that was not like hit. We could get away with the chamber, of, you know, the chamber of shadows. You could get away with that because that did supposedly exist and was and was and kind of was off on its own. That you can understand with, but you know, so I, I know they kind of, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but still, it's, it's there's just a lot of stuff. As you were reading this issue up to this point, it just made you scratch your head. No. Um. Other than that, I don't really have anything else um, for for this issue. That's good. Because we're like almost 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> well, good then, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm only kidding. I mean, I'm only kidding. It has nothing to do with I – don't, I don't know if there's – I mean, I don't know if there's that much more to to say about it. I mean, re- realistically, I mean, there were things about the. I did like the Jessica, the Jessica Kyle pairing. I again, I get sick and t- I'm sick and t- I'm sick and tired of the guy being run down by Simon bullshit because it doesn't make any sense to begin with. That's why I was kind of hoping Simon would get Guy just so Guy could kick the crap out of him. Um, but but nonetheless. Uh, so, have you happened to ever have seen the standard cover for this next issue? I probably have, but I don't remember what it is. Okay. So, just to be clear, the cover you have is uh, Jessica in the Snow, right? Yep. Okay. The Mike McCone cover is awesome. Okay? It's Jessica and Simon, kind of maybe one-eighth. Uh, part of this page, standing front and center. And behind them is an ass ton of lanterns. There is Jon Stewart. There is Izamot. There is Rodlot Fan. There's Moro. There's Salak. There's Tusik, Stell, Kilowog. Um, uh, there's Iolande. There's uh, uh, Goran's son. There's the Chaselon type lantern. There's um, what's his name? Looks like a big mutated Wookiee who guards the uh, prison. Is it Vox? Is that his name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. He's Vaz. there. It's Vaz. It's Vaz. Yeah, Vaz. Uh, and behind him is um, one of the Lost Lanterns, the big rock guy. Um, Hanu. Yes, Hanu. Uh, Hanu's there. Um, there is. Um, uh, what's his name? The the Mystic Lantern from the one of the quarterlies we reviewed. I'm trying to remember which ones are still alive. You mean the actual sorcerer one? Uh, no. Not, uh, you mean you mean the combination like of Sarek and the other guy, right? The ones that went off in search of, but they were the ones. But they so not not Gretty because that was the other that one dude. Um, what was his name? He was on the cover. The unlock the door to fear one. Um, the one, the one who just doesn't want to, the one who didn't want to use his ring anymore because of the power, because of the finite spectrum. Was that the one? Unless, that, unless I'm thinking of the wrong one, it could, it could very well be. I'm thinking of the wrong freaking one. Now that was another Lost Lantern. I'm thinking of. Yeah, uh, Ash. Yeah, but I, I thought Ash, but it didn't Ash, but Ash died, didn't he? Wasn't he one of the one? Wasn't he? Wasn't he one of the ones that died searching for the anti monitor? Uh, I think so, but let, you know what? Screw it. Let me. We're, we're on Skype right now. Let me send it to you, um, unless it won't let me because we're actually on a call. <laughs> In which case, I guess this is all pointless. Um, but I, I just sent it to you. 
so I took a just screenshot on my phone, so forgive the little ad at the bottom, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of lanterns oh, yeah. there. Oh, the one on the bottom, you mean? Is that Yeah, right in front of Vaz to the to Simon's right. He's bald. He's holding the Simon's left. Simon's left. To, no, Simon's right. If, if Simon's facing the viewer, Simon's right. Oh, correct. You are correct. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the that's the one of the lost lanterns. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember um, his name either. One of the few, because there aren't that many left at this point. They're pretty much dropping. I mean, and obviously, you know, Tomar is his his, his prospects aren't looking too good. <laughs> but I also recognize the blue-skinned, white-haired chick behind two six, and the chick behind her. Yeah, you're right. I do kind of recognize her too. Don't she, the, the the chick behind her has got almost like that python-like thing. Or, or cobra like thing, but yes. yeah, behind her, and I forget her name. Like we, we really, uh, her name specifically, I'm pretty sure I know, but I just I can't I can't recall it right now. There's Badge. Um, I don't know who the guy is behind Badge. It could be what's his name who supposedly died that everybody thought was Hal in that Bleeding Cool article. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but I'm pretty sure a couple of these lanterns I think are supposed to be dead. <laughs> Graf Torin, that's probably I think the guy we th- I think that's the guy we think is the one yeah. in the, to the to the left of viewing yeah. it. To the right of the character to the left for the from viewing the cover. But I love this cover. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good cover. Yeah, it's really well done. So, uh, Lost in Space Part Two. Um, the uh, Sam Humphreys writer, Eduardo Panseca letters. Uh, Julio Ferreria inks, blonde colors, Dave Sharp letters, Mike McCone and Jason Wright on the cover, Emmanuel Lupacino and Michael Atelier on the variant cover, and then some Jokers on the editing team. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Space Sector Zero, we open up kind of roughly where we left off, except right in the middle of training. Guy Gardner is all up in Jessica Cruz's grill. And all of this, this first part of here... Maybe a couple of parts uh, throughout. I'm going to be super brief because there are other parts where I'm going to be more specific and kind of read word for word what's on the page. But so here is training. Guy Gardner's going up against Jessica. He's really in her face. He's pushing her hard. He's pushing her through drills, through the snow, flying and flying maneuvers, throwing constructs at her, making her go through uh, lava pits. I mean, like he's really pushing her hard. It's like it's like so, a Rocky montage, but you just can't hear any good music playing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Meanwhile, over in Space Sector Four on the planet Koron, Kyle and uh, Simon show up to do some battle. Now, on a place that was home to an ancient industrial civilization, burned out a thousand years ago, so on and so forth. So Simon's like, "Cool, what are we gonna do? Uh, you know, do blah blah blah." So uh, Kyle's like, "Nah, just hit me once, one punch." Which is odd that Kyle's the one asking that, but whatever. Yeah, but it does, <laughs> one, but it does come full circle later on. It, it does come full circle. <laughs> so sounds like, all right, are you kidding? Well, one punch coming up, and then all of a sudden, massive construct maze, top to bottom, like filling up almost all of Simon's scope, a field of vision, and he's like, "What the hell?" And Simon's like, or, or Kyle's like, 
yeah, one punch, but you got to find me first. Um, meanwhile, over on Mogo in the Hall of Forbidden Records, um, Raimi slash Volthoom is looking through all these records and information, and he stumbles across a page that shows his travel lantern being basically cannibalized into the first seven lantern rings. So he's like, I thought it was gone, but you bastards, you did this, but maybe if I can get these rings, I can find the code or whatever that will get me my travel lantern back. And because we're talking about the travel lantern, ten billion years ago, we see a massive fight scene. Big wars happening. Um, almost want to call it Apocalyptian slash New Genesis type of characters, maybe. Some of the armor looks kind of New Gods-esque, but we'll see. Maybe that plays into the New Gods storyline that's supposed to be coming up down the road. Well, it's the third world, so what, the New Gods are what, the fourth world, right? Yeah. Yeah, the fourth world. Uh, so, there came a time when the old gods died. The brave fell with the cunning, the noble perished, locked in battle with unleashed evil. It was the last day for them, an ancient era was passing out in a fiery holocaust. No more glorious a sight has ever greeted any eyes than that of Galactica, or Galicaica, or whatever Galactica. you want to call it. Yeah, Galactica. Home of the new gods of the third world. They're having a big debate, you know... It's naive and idiotic. There's no place for us out there. We must stay here on Galactica. It was war that destroyed the old gods, and war will destroy us too. But we are part of the universe. We cannot hide from it. If war consumes the universe, then it will consume Galactica too. We must help keep. We must help the universe know peace. It is our sacred duty. It's madness. You would have us go forth into hell itself. We only need one. One brave uh, enough to inspire, to teach, to serve, and as example. And then a woman stands up and says, I will. And they're like, it's her, Alitha. Is she crazy? Alitha, no, you cannot go. Mother, I must. We cannot hide. We are the third world. We must ensure there will not be a fourth. <laughs> Good luck with that. And, that's um, <laughs> <laughs> and then look, are we under attack? It has already begun. A big bolt of green uh, energy comes streaking towards them. And all of a sudden, Alitha is encased in green lantern energy with a lantern in front of her. And it's speaking to her, Alitha of Galactica. You have the ability to overcome great fear. There is a great crisis in the universe. You are needed. Then, meanwhile, back on Mogo, while Jessica is taking a breather, Kilowog comes up to her and tries to talk some stuff into her. He says, What's wrong with you? She says, I thought I was getting the hang of this ring back home, but up here I can't focus. I can't make it work. I'm blowing it. I'm trying so hard to find my willpower, but I think it's gone. He says, you're going about it all wrong, pushing it. You don't have to find willpower, kiddo. It's always there. Anyone ever taught Anyone ever taught you the Emerald Sun? It's an old corpse legend. Cor I always say corpse when I see that word. It's an old core legend, older than the Book of Oa, a ghost story some old poozer used to tell. Imagine a big, bold green star. The light it shines is strong and bright and clear, just like your willpower. But sometimes, like say in the heat of battle, or when you have to be in the same room as Guy, <laughs> fear clouds your vision. Sometimes the fear is thick, like a dense thunderstorm, and you can't see ten feet above your head. And she says, yeah, like, and like you can't think of about anything else, much less willpower. He says, exactly. 
And it scares us so bad, we forget the stars are still there. See? The Emerald Sun is always up there. You just gotta knock your way past the clouds. Just like your willpower. It can't be lost or found. It can never leave you. Your willpower is always there. It's in every one of us. It's our birthright. It's easy to forget that what we're looking for is always within us. Uh, close your eyes. What do you see? And then she creates this big crystal and star constructs all around herself or in front of herself. Says, oh, it's beautiful. Is that my willpower? He says, so they say. Anyway, I'm out. She says, where? She says, wait, Kilowog, is the Emerald Sun, is it real? He says, he's quiet. And then he says, don't take any guff from Guy, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Simon Baz's training, uh, he's trying to find Kyle. Drill his way through the maze, not working, getting panicky. Uh, let me out of here. And then Kyle's uh, construct face comes through, all plastic man style, and kind of taunts him a little bit. And then it turns the entire thing into a giant ping pong ball. Uh, a ping, ping pong. <laughs> uh, a pinball. <laughs> I wonder if I want to get creative with editing and throw ping, pinball. Ping. <laughs> I will, uh, no, no, throw pinball wizard in the background. <laughs> uh, or maybe just at the end credits. It's such a good song. Um so he's saying, you've, you've got your magic wishing ring, Baz, and yet your constructs are stuck in a rut, mostly mechanical this or that, bored, tired, lackluster. And Simon's got a ball around him, and he's the, the pinball in Kyle's big, giant construct pinball machine. So I'm going to kill you, Kyle Reno. Who are you calling lackluster? Goes up towards him, tries to punch him. He says, gotcha. Uh, enough, cartoon guy. Uh, uh, time to take your punch. And that's when he... Puts a construct pie in his face. He says, really, Kyle, a pie? What are you? And he says, who are you going to punch now? And then there's a bunch of constructs of Kyle, one of whom is the original Ion. Yes. Actually, I think there's two in the back. No, there's three. Yeah, there's at the very least be, three. There's got to be multiples because he doesn't have that many costumes. No, true. Yeah, there's, there's a one, two, three, four. There's five. There's five that I see in the background of, uh, of Kyle's original Ion costume, which, God, please, somebody make a figure of. But anyways, meanwhile, back over on Mogo, Guy is still training uh, Jessica, pushing her harder and harder and harder. She's got a construct sniper rifle. She's trying to take a shot at a construct bear tied to a bamboo pole in the middle of nowhere. But she's trying to do it by ricocheting the bullet across various places to get to the bear. Keeps missing. He's throwing words at her. Unbelievable. After over 160-something tries, you're barely showing any improvement. You're like my athlete's foot. Slow, sure, and completely unwanted. Why, why I'm starting to think I'm wasting my damn time. You're not a lantern. You're not lantern material at all. You're a disappointment to the core. You're completely fragging useless. She gets more and more upset as he's doing all this and then wraps some construct around her fist and punches the shit out of Guy. <laughs> And next, Green Lantern Corps with a big freaking, you know, do not smoke sign <laughs> over the top of it. Core busters. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, where's that? There so. Some, there were some interesting things in the issue. I'm trying to think of which. Okay, so there's the. Obviously, there's the original Kyle because he's standing there in his original costume 
There is Green Lantern Corps, Kyle, from the Jeff Johns era after uh, Recharge. There is the early 2000s slash Jim Lee version, right? Yeah. There, There's the original Ion, and then the 12-issue Ion, which, thank God, it looks like there's only... Well, two. There's two of them. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there's at least two. I see at least two right now. Actually, there's, there's one two. Yeah, there's one in the top two. There's White Lantern Kyle Rayner, original Ion Kyle Rayner, which I've already said. Um, I don't recognize this one right here. So right above Simon's head, you see a White Lantern. There's a an original '90s, a White Lantern, and then this other one with a big, big ass Green Lantern symbol on his chest. Which Greenland? Which Kyle is that? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not. It's probably one of those. I can't place the story. I can't. Um, it's it is interesting that there's that one's unique. So yeah, I don't see him repeated anywhere. Do you? No, I'm looking for it now. I don't. I don't really see him repeated. Well, maybe. Okay, so. Uh, Kyle's right shoulder. You can see a Jim Lee version. Then you see another version of the '90s costume, and then right above him, that might be yeah, another possibly. version it of the same be, one. His see. hair, his hair is swept back just like that. Hmm. I don't recognize that version of the costume. Someone write in and tell us. Um, but yeah, that was cool to see. All the stuff, I mean, you know, honestly, all the stuff with Kyle, I thought was great, just because it shows artist Kyle again. You know, the the the, the maze, the pie in the face, the sort of way he stretches his head all plastic man style out through the wall, the you know, all that stuff. That's very very Kyle Rayner esque. However, I have a problem, sort of, with part of what Kyle's criticism is with him. He, he says mostly mechanical this or that. Now, he does say boring, tired, lackluster, you're lacking creativity, which you'd expect Kyle to say. But it's like, you work with Hal. <laughs> you work with John. Like, do you criticize their constructs like this? Because John is an architect, so I guess you kind of get along with him. But don't you remember – like, you remember that issue that – Part and rebirth, where like they're going over the the hows and whys they do what they do. Yes, like con- John builds his constructs from the inside out. Yes, and they're mechanical. Hal is still kind of in his sixties mode. He does planes when he does a plane. He does a plane. He flew for Ferris. You know, he's you know boxing glove. He still sticks with that kind of stuff. He's not as creative. But is Kyle <laughs> judging all the other lanterns for not being as creative as he is, or is it just Simon because he's new? He wants to say, okay, don't rely too much on this. Know that you have this in your back pocket. Or is he trying to change the way Simon thinks completely? <laughs> I'm. I think. I think there's probably a little bit of everything. I think he's just he's trying to probably get his goat, so he so he. To break his concentration and have him focused on the wrong thing. Ultimately, he's probably trying to get him to think outside the box or open his mind to other ideas about how to use the ring. Um, okay. Not be so narrow, fo- narrowly focused. That's what I would assume it is. But considering the way Kyle's written in, uh, and Hal in the core these days, it could just be douchebag Kyle right <laughs> A little bit of it. 
<laughs> I will say thus far, I like this Kyle Rayner. Yeah, this in, in Sam Humphrey's book, he's better than I do. Yes, he's better. Yeah, he's more. He's more. See, not that we get all, not that we have a whole lot of evidence to support it at this point because we've barely seen him. But yes, he seems. He definitely seems closer to Kyle, real Kyle, than what we've what we've gotten in Hal in the core so far. Um, I liked. I like – well, I like just because, again, it makes – like we just talked about, it makes you want to bang your head. The fact that the whole of Forbidden Records, there's no way that fucking thing should exist. Because mm-hmm. they're not even in the – they're not even – they're not even giving you this whole Vault of Shadows, Chamber of Shadows crap right now. He's still on MoGo, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like there, there's not one damn book that should be around. That place got blown all the way up. <laughs> um. If they had, if they were digital files. If there was like this something saved, some I could almost buy that more than actual physical books and cat and file cabinets and all this stuff. I again, I'm a that seems a bit that's that's like real convenient that this stuff survived. But of course, Mogo, when it's not like Mogo was ever really you know, Mogo was forced to be the headquarters of the of the Green Lantern Corps after Owa got blown up for the like fifty seventh time. Dear listener, make sure to keep a weather eye out in December or January when we have our inevitable Last Jedi discussion. <laughs> will Mark will Mark be as critical of the old ancient Jedi text still surviving after all these years? Tune in and find out. But I don't but see that. I don't think that's that's not the, it's not the same thing though, because if depending on where we where those books were found, let's say those books were not that. If the Empire never found that world or found that temple, if they failed to find that, then it would make sense that those texts could still exist. We know this planet didn't exist. If, 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 these, if these books were supposed to be an Alderaan, I would say you're correct. I would agree with you. <laughs> oh, Bale had him in, 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 in he, he had him in a lockbox in, in his closet when it got blown up. He was about to give him to Obi-Wan when Obi-Wan came back as a surprise – but <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, other than like the training day stuff, which I thought was pretty cool, uh, we do get that seventh, the the original seventh uh, stuff, which mm, I thought was interesting. I, you know, it. I didn't really feel a wow factor to it though. Other than, and and this is not even a wow; it's more of a oh is. I didn't expect to see it this soon. Well, like we talked about, excuse me, like we talked about not that not that long ago, there seems to, which is a complete, and it's just the whole paradox of what of half of what we complain about are dangling plot points that have been out, been for out been out there for years, and then they do the opposite, which is we're, we're going to force we're going to give you an issue which foreshadows all these threats that are coming, and we're going to give them all to you in the next seven months. And this is, and that's kind of like it's it's like the, the balancing act of making you bang your head against the wall. We, I kind of figured we were gonna, I kind of figured we were gonna see them. Did I think we were going to be seeing them, you know, so soon? But because of the whole time travel thing that we're about to deal with, I guess it makes sense. I I kind of I like the idea. I do. I just like the. I, I like the idea that things never really change all that much. That the guardians are just lying douchebags so so often that you know 
that Volthoom thought that you know his travel lantern was gone for good, and now we find out that it really wasn't gone at all. They just kind of like dissected it and made it <laughs> and broke it down. Into, thanks with Raimi's help, clearly broke broke the travel lantern down into into seven original Green Lantern rings. Uh, so I like that idea. I like I, I like the introduction of the concept that the travel lantern still exists, or could still exist, from especially just from Volthoom's point of view, because that changes his motivation. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I agree. This the, the introduction of this first of the seven is pretty bland. I think the only thing we're supposed to give a crap about, again, which is asking a lot, is that obviously they're foreshadowing our new gods by calling by this being the third world and we know our new gods are the fourth world it's just that most people still don't give a crap about our new gods so why would they care about this planet <laughs> this universe's new gods or this 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 gen's new gods so but she seemed like she could be cool but there wasn't much but we have no way of really knowing you know why it was sort of lackluster for me is it's it's not an original story it's like wonder woman actually which we'll talk about later it's not. It's not necessarily that. It's. Do you remember? And obviously you do. We did the commentary track, but uh, the Emerald Knights story. Well, we got the story of the first lantern. Yes. Didn't we also have like a big gathering? There's a mighty need now. Of course, all these people were in front of the guardians themselves when the rings were tossed out to the first four or whatever. Um, but there was a big battle, a big threat facing the universe, and then all of a sudden, you know. We need, there's a need for you, and a lot of the first chosen were warriors, but then the scribe was chosen. So I feel like we're in the warriors are being chosen moment, and then later on we're going to get the scribe lantern type of a thing. You know what I mean? Right. It just it just didn't feel like an original concept. Now, don't get me wrong. It's this formation of the Green Lantern Corps. And you've got the thing coming with Volthoom. Obviously, the, the, the rings are, are created to supposedly now to stop Volthoom. But I think the only interesting thing to me here is clearly these people are dealing with their own thing. Now, whether or not that thing is precipitated somehow behind, by Volthoom, like maybe he somehow raised an army or something, I don't know. We don't know the, the real time frame of all of this or how Volthoom became a threat big enough to create the Green Lantern Corps to stop him. But if it's a different thing, it'd be interesting to see her get this power and then be pulled away to face Volthoom rather than face this threat that she's obviously all of her people are going up against. Agreed. So that'd that'd be interesting to see. Uh, My other favorite moment in this stuff is obviously the stuff with Kilowog and Jessica. I knew you liked that, which was which was one of the reasons I had no problems from divvying up these issues, saying, ah, I think he'll appreciate this one between Kyle and Kilowog, he'll like this issue. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And, 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 and it's and it's not wrong, and it's not uh, – it, it, it's all it is is it's elaborating on something. The ring doesn't say that you're, you're fearless. It says that you have the ability to overcome fear. That's always been a very basic tenet. Well, they were able to take that concept and break it down into a couple of pages and dumb it down without making it seem dumbed down. It, because you're applying it to Jessica and she's just worried that she you know, has her will and then loses her will and the way in which she's doing it, it makes sense that, for, that this conversation happens. 
and it's in line with that concept. Your will is there, but do you have the wherewithal and the knowledge and the ability to fight through the clouds? So I thought that was pretty cool. Which it was good. Which 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 we actually kind of uh, I alluded to when we did the Polaris arc because of the stuff that was happening with Simon when he like couldn't get his constructs strong enough to get out of that ball or whatever. That it would have been interesting if he had had the same conversation with Kilowatt because it could have worked for both of them, but obviously it works more for Jessica. So I like that. But other than that, I think that's all I've got to say about this one. Move on to the end. Move on to the end. Green Lantern 24. And I do have the standard cover, which is Jessica smashing Guy Gardner in the face. Simon like, oh my god, what did you do? (laughs) And Guy's got the big ring imprint on his face. Uh, Actually, I don't think Simon's doing that. I think he's doing that. Oh shit! <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh snap! Kind of a, a look. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I meant. I don't know how I said it, but <laughs> that's what I meant. Oh, uh, okay. <clears throat> like uh, the did you the variant cover? Did you see that one? I did, but I don't remember what it is. Uh, so it's Simon front and center, Jessica's to the right of him, Kyle's to the left of him, and guys behind uh, them all. It's just kind of like a you know hero shot kind of a thing. Which is interesting. I don't. I don't think I noticed until now that Simon has a utility belt. <laughs> so I don't think I ever knew that was. A, or I don't think I ever recognized that that's a part of his costume. I guess it's not because it's not on the first page of this one. It was a holster, but that was a holster. That was his holster. Yeah, but it makes it look like a Batman utility belt with a Green Lantern symbol instead of a freaking... Oh, so that, that probably was just one of those... It is a variant cover, so it probably was Creative Liberty. I yeah, I just, sent it to, I just sent it to you. Uh, there it is. Let's take a look. Uh, oops, hold on. That's the wrong one. That's the one you just... That's, hold on. There it is. I clicked on the wrong one. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a Batman utility belt minus the bad well, symbol. Well, well, now that Bruce Wayne loves him so much, maybe he's going to be his benefactor just like Tony Stark is Spider-Man's. <laughs> green Robin? He'll, he'll get all the cool gadgets now because he's the only Green Lantern I can work with. Maybe they'll kill Batwing and Simon will be the new Batwing. Now that you – I yeah, I actually – I did see this cover because I really – because other than Simon and Jessica, I hate it because <laughs> Ka, Ka, this is a – is this a this is a Nol, is this a Nolan cover or no no? Uh, variant no. cover by Emmanuel Lupacino and Michael Atiyah. The sad part is like, like Kyle looks like it would be a Kevin Nolan cover because of the way he's drawn. I don't like the way Kyle's drawn. Guy essentially looks like Hal Jordan with orange hair, wearing the guy uniform. So I don't really. Jessica looks Jessica looks cool, I suppose. Simon looks okay. There's not a lot of detail. I think. Seems to be a lot of to me. There's not a whole lot of something's missing, even about Simon with him being front and center. You know what's also missing about Guy? Look at his arms. What color are they? Oh yeah. He's not his 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 jacket is not a full jacket. His jacket is supposed to be a vest. Yep. And his arms are supposed to be black. <laughs> but that's messed up. So. Yep. 
nothing for de- nothing like great detail. Yeah. At least Kyle's got black hair, so let's, so you take small victories, I guess, when you can get them. <laughs> but it's a but it's a variant cover. Who cares? I guess. But yeah, still, but this some, stuff shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Well, see, I think they really, I think they really get that. I think when you get to do the variant covers, I think you do have a lot of leeway because people know that those aren't the ones; those aren't the official covers. So you can do whatever shit you want. I think that's what that's that's what I'm seemingly getting out of all this. Yeah. All right. So, Lost in Space conclusion. Jeez, see, if, we, if I had gone back and read that at the beginning of the week, people would have answered our question about how many issues this arc was. <laughs> One thing that we haven't really pointed out that I do like, I like the fact that the that the in the interior on every cover page of the three issues, the Lost in Space is kind of written almost in the TV show Lost in Space font. It yep. pretty much is Lost in Space, the classic Lost in Space font. So I do think that's a very nice touch to do that. Not not just taking the name of the arc I mean, for, for the arc, but actually doing an homage, uh, doing justice to uh, its logo as well. Uh, so Humphreys, Humphreys always the writer. Carlo Bobera is the penciler in this issue. Mike Santarelli inks. There's a lot of different people on this one. Uh, Ulysses Ariola colors. Dave Sharp is still letters. Brad Walker did the main. Drew Hennessy and Jason Wright did the main covers. Like uh, I was gonna call you Brad <laughs> because, because of Brad Walker, I had my brain fried. Uh, as Brad Bokeman said, the variant cover was Emanuela Lupacino and Michael Atea, and the usual Kanga suspects <laughs> as our editing group. So we switch back to Kyle fighting Simon. Um, as Simon points out, I'm trapped in a terrible movie. Night of a Thousand Kyle Rainers, and this movie sucks. <laughs> Which I do like, because now Kyle's back up in the air. He's got the, but I'm bummed. He's taking the. He's got the high ground, and all, and all his uh, his d- different incarnations of Kyle are like shooting their power rings at, at Simon, and are coming at him. Um, back picking up on a theme we saw in the last issue. Kyle's like brute force won't save the day all the time. And Simon's just like, I'm gonna get a migraine from all this relentless positivity. Uh. And basically, Simon creates a fire extinguisher, which he uses on Kyle's constructs, which is pretty effective, including the, because it seemingly actually blinds Kyle, too. And by the time Kyle starts uh, seeing through the construct extinguisher and smoke, then all of a sudden uh, behind him is uh, Simon seemingly getting ready to punch him in the face. It's like, you ready for you ready for your one punch? And right on cue, now we switch back to uh, Mo- Mogo, where Simon's, I mean, excuse me, where Jessica now has to face the consequences of her punching guy in the face. Uh, guys like, you know, pretty much anyone in the galaxy would have run from, for cover by now, but it takes more than one swing to take me down, Cruz. And Jessica, while you give her credit, you give her A for effort on this one, in real life, this would not be something she probably would have, you would really would want to say at a moment like this. But she said that. That, that's not what Batman told me. <laughs> oh, God, that was good. Um, it's kind of interesting that Kyle, I mean, excuse me, the guy doesn't really make any comment about that. Didn't, didn't you think that was kind of odd? Just kind of I odd. think uh, he, he does have a smirk, though. He does have a smirk, but you would think that it's a guy. So you would think, I mean, maybe, I guess I guess you would just chalk that up. The guy appreciates her having the balls to make that joke. <laughs> 
that's probably what it really is. It's like nicely played, but he's not going to admit it. Uh, so, guys, just like you know, assaulted a superior officer. That ain't no joke in the core. I should kick your butt all the way back to Earth with no powering on your finger, except for one thing. It's like you want this. It's like you want this real bad. You try hard. You never give up. That's what you know. That's a, basically what willpower is all about. And you want to be a Green Lantern, don't you, Cruz? <laughs> and. Uh, Guy creates a chainsaw construct and starts cutting down almost like bamboo-like uh, trees on Mogo. And then all of a sudden, uh, Guy's just kind of like hanging, floating in the air, looking down on her with like a construct baseball bat behind him. I was like, then fight for it, and this time I'm ready. Now we cut back to yet another to our second prologue of uh, the original seven. Green Lanterns, ten billion years years ago on the planet Mars, and we see this this blue man, this excuse me, this white Martian child, who basically was mo- most of the other ma- people in his in his uh, family in his town have been destroyed by what, what would you say they were pirates or just or just basically just uh, raiders raiders, uh, so. You know, they 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 don't worry about the kid too much because they because the kid gets you know gets smacked in the face real good. He's got the, he was bleeding across his face. They figured he's just gonna run off to die anyway. And then you know the raiders leave and you know the kid comes out and we see who we will assume are his family members all gutted and dying and are dead in in on the street. Now ten years later, uh, these same same group of raiders are hovered around a fire, which is interesting. But uh, a in, in essentially a campfire at night then all of a sudden they get they get they get attacked by this this cloak cloak wearing almost almost ninja like warrior who pretty much like claws them and rips them apart and then the, you know there's one there's one left at the end and right before and right before this martian gets killed the the you know the 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 uh, hooded figure pulls back the uh the cloak in the in the bandage, almost like a bandage thing covering its uh, face to reveal that it's the same kid that they left for dead 10 years ago. You know, he kind of screams more or less because he's, I guess, in pain and satisfaction after finally getting his revenge. At that moment, we have Zekran, Zekran of Mars. You have the ability to overcome great fear. There is a crisis in the universe. You are needed. And he gets the second ring, seemingly. Now we get some narration. The original seven Green Lantern rings were beautiful. Uh, Raimi created the rings 10 billion years ago. He destroyed my travel lantern to make them, and now I've possessed his body to track them down. If I can find them, I can recreate my travel lantern. I can finally go home. And I do like all the energy construct, like blueprints and tracking and everything that, that uh, Vol- Volthumi is trying to do. And it's, they find, you know, you know the, the fifth the fifth Green Lantern ring is like uh, record not found. The sixth Green Lantern ring... Uh, record not found, but then ring number seven, the ring was finally located, and he's like, yes, one survived, tell me where it is, and now we have our little twist, which is a cute little twist, I like this, because it does kind of explain possibly why why Jessica's ring does seem to behave a little differently, that we find out that Jessica Cruz's ring actually is the the seventh of the original seventh Green Lantern rings, and 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 Volthumi over here goes, the ring had wanted to return to Earth just like the Travel Lantern. If there's one, maybe more, maybe all seven. After 10 billion years, I finally feel hope. You know, I must get the crews before they realize I'm not. And, of course, we hear someone say, Raimi! 
and of course, uh, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be Ganther, right? Because he looks he almost looks more like Spock, like walking through. It's like, are you finding what you need? Are you close to solving the problem of the defective rings? <laughs> and and Volthoom is like, I Ganther, as he you know inside, he's, we we get like for the umpteenth time, we get the, the like we get it already <laughs> as they tell the readers, hey, I'm not really Raimi. <laughs> And I'm really Volthoom, uh, but Volthoomy as says, uh, I Ganth that I believe I figured it out. Simple error. Can't believe I didn't see it right away, but I cannot fix it yet. I need something first, something we buried a long time ago. I need bum bum bum. It's in the Vault of Shadows. Convenient. <laughs> now, uh, now, now, now back to Simon and Kyle. Um, Kyle, I like the, the energy constructs with with the abracadabra. I like the whole like rabbits coming out of a hat thing. Uh, and, and Simon, that's pretty neat. Uh, and I like just like Kyle constructs are pretty cool in general. Making the squid, making like the headbanger with the guitar. Uh, I think I think all that's pretty cool. Uh, I do like when when uh, excuse me when uh, Simon puts him in a coffin. <laughs> right, right, right after he points out that sorry, Kyle, your rock is dead. As as Kyle's guitar gets as it basically gets smashed on the shield or whatever. No, the amplifier, right? It's the amplifier. Uh, yeah, it's an amp. It's an amp. That and and then Simon follows up by saying, uh, "And you're dead too." And that's why he puts him in the casket. Um, he he wraps him in a, in a scar in a scarf like a Harry Potter scarf, which is kind of cool. It's like ten points to House Baz. Simon goes. That was good. <laughs> that was a good reference point. And uh, and as he gets him wrapped in the scarf, you know Simon winds up finally for his punch. It's like uh, you know Kyle's Kyle says mercy, and of course now we see that Simon actually has kind of learned a lesson because now he hits Kyle directly in the face with a, with an energy constructed pie as well. Is that you said to pass training, all it takes is one punch. Is, but punches are boring, Rainer. He's like, tired, lackluster. So I say a pie counts the same as a punch, unless you want another. And Kyle, uh, Kyle agrees, and uh, they're all they're all kind of happy, kumbaya moment there. Um, now back on Mogo, Jess, Jessica kind of creates creates a baseball bat too and and she and si, she and guy pretty much have this this baseball bat light lightsaber fight to a certain extent um, and they, I'll, I'll, at this point I do kind of like you know guy is kind of like prodding her in the right way uh, she's she's focusing on, on what Kilowog said about you know about that emerald sun and everything and guys like guess you could say I used to be a jerk <laughs> I bet Batman told you all about that <laughs> I was getting in my own way, and once I stopped, well, that's when I became the living legend before you today. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I really do like Guy. He, talk about a character who's really, really done a major turnaround. Because <laughs> he used to really be the dick that everybody described him as, there's no doubt, but he's really a fun character to read. Um, so now Jessica's getting all uh, all amped up, focusing on this Emerald this emerald sun kind of thing. It's like the willpower I'm looking for is in me. It's like if you're looking for a fight, you got it. And she she creates like a battle axe and slashes guy, knock, knocks him through the trees. Uh, while the guy's on the ground, she comes at him with the axe, and that's what he says. Stop, please, peace. It's like you gra- you graduate, lantern. Just like that, another co- big kumbaya moment. 
Kumbaya, you know, back at you know, more in the central part of Mogo, the Citadel here. We see. I like the little page of the two power batteries. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. That that that's nicely done. And then, of course, nicely enough, Hal Jordan actually is there. It's like, Hal, Hal Jordan is like, I vest you with the powers to commence this ceremony. It's like, uh, thank you, Corps Leader Stewart. And it's like, Jessica Cruz, you have hereby graduated basic training. And White Circle No More, you have earned your insignia. Green Lantern of Sector 2814. <laughs> uh, Lantern Baz of Sector 2814, glad to see you finally made it to Mogo. You two patrol my old... Sector on my home planet. I remember when both of you received your rings, which is kind of funny because Hal wasn't quite there when Simon really got his ring. Uh, and I'm happy to say you've made me and the core proud. Lanterns light them up, and we have a nice, a really cool splash page of them reciting their oath. And Kyle, John, Jessica, Hal, Kilowog, Simon, and Guy. Yeah, a lot of the art on this page sucks, but it's still a cool splash page. Now they're John all... smiling for the first time in F and forever. That's why it sucks. No, I'm kidding. No, John actually is one of the ones that doesn't look that bad. I don't like Jessica. Looks horrible. John, uh, uh, Hal doesn't look that good. Guy looks okay, not great. Simon looks all right, and Kilowog isn't the best either. He looks better on the next page when he's holding a green beer again. So, you know, so they're all so now they're out. Gathered around a, uh, a little meeting table here, and they're all and they're all kind of basically catching up. And you, so you could tell that they've been talking about the Red Lanterns because guys kind of getting getting in there. Oh, you see the Red Lanterns if they want if they want to know. It's like if, basically if they if they're looking to find me, you, you can tell them where I am. And if they got the they know where I am if they have the guts. And talking about the controllers and and the talk. And for some reason, John Stewart's still obsessed with his coffee. And I'll. And Jessica comes over and she gives Hal a big hug. I actually missed you, which is kind of, I guess that's appropriate. I don't quite know. Um, Hal seems impressed that Simon stopped using his gun. And now, and now is John's buzz, John Buzzkill Stewart <laughs> says, I know this is going to help my reputation as a buzzkill around here, but we got to cut this party short. Our two Earth Lanterns have their next mission. Per my special request, and we see Raimi full through me. It's like I need a security detail. It's basically, and uh, said like Raimi has discovered how to restore the ring's recruitment sub subroutines. The tools I need are very far from here, and basically it's like I need you. We must go to the Vault of Shadows. The end. Look at the uh, designs on the. Uh Vault of Shadow pillars off to the sides. Are you looking? You mean the symbols? Or you actually mean the pillars themselves? Not the pillars, but the symbols next to it on the, I guess, the side wall oh, the or whatever. Symbol. Uh huh. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but if it's not, maybe pay more attention to that stuff, guys, <laughs> when you're trying to do cool designs on the walls, because <laughs> that looks very much like the indigo symbol. Um, do you get the feeling that so obviously Raimi is slash Volthoom is a sinister presence here. Do you get the feeling that they're trying to make Ganthet and Sade slightly more sinister or like they're hiding something? Or am I alone in that? Well, tell me what makes you think that and I'll tell you if I think you're big. Is it the big <laughs> of the way they're drawn? 
Or is it, or do you, are you some of the dialogue, or is it a combination thereof? It's it's combination thereof. Nothing super specific in this issue. It was slightly more so in my issue. I felt like, um, and and the first issue you did as well, that that kind of was there. But I don't I don't know. I just feel like they might be taking that route somehow. Uh, and, and and you know what? Actually, now that I look at it, it's, it was your issue. I think that I was thinking that and not mine because I don't think I had a scene with uh, with uh, Ganthet and Said. Yeah, I don't think you did. Yeah, yeah so you, I don't know. Because you just had we just had Volthumi going through the books in yours, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. I don't know. It just seems odd, and I'm just going to say it now. On, on the off chance, even that it's not happening and I'm just reading into stuff, Humphreys, don't take Ganthet down that path. I don't think he. I, I don't think he will. I think I having Ganthet is above reproach. Well, he was till friggin' Jeff Johns wiped you know, kind of wiped his ass with him. Um, pardon my pardon the term. Uh, I don't think they're gonna. I think obviously we know the Guardians have secrets upon secrets upon secrets. Uh, as we fa- as as we were kind of like were reminded of during as we wrapped up quarterly last week, <laughs> the Guardians have a lot of secrets and a lot of mistakes. So I'm sure we're gonna find out a whole bunch more of them once we get this little time travel thing back to the time of the original <laughs> First Lantern appearance. Uh, but I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're taking them down that road. I, I, they could be written – now, it's possible Humphreys thinks he needs to – and this, again, maybe I could – and this is just pure speculation. Maybe because he's not experienced writing Ganthet and Said that maybe he thinks that he needs to write Ganthet and Said as if they were traditional guardians. And that could, and that could be – and that could be – which is a problem, but that could be what he's trying to do but not necessarily trying to – not doing it on purpose other than thinking that's how Guardians behave, not necessarily having all the background to realize the two Guardians that would not behave this way would be Ganthet and Sade because that's because they were always more in touch with their emotions and less less domineering and less um, my way or the highway. Even though Ganthet, we know, did have that in him, certainly back during the Kyle days, he was more my way or the highway before. But Sade was always more open-minded, so I think that could be... That could be a little bit possible explanation of what's going on. But if he is trying to make them pseudo bad, I, yeah, you were correct. That's a step. That, that, that would be, that's, that would be as, as bad a mistake as what, uh, Venditti did when, how he used parallax when he finally got to use convergence parallax and just took him down that road to make him no different than, than, than our last, you know, last time we saw Hal's parallax. So it's, that's the same kind of thing. Those characters are not supposed to be like that. Those characters have different motivations. Those characters do different things, and they and they and they serve a greater purpose to just have. So. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to to note as well here, on the page where, um, and 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 maybe you you mentioned this, and I just totally missed it while I was. Flipping through uh, the issue, looking at the art again. Um, Otherwise, none is sleeping, people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was doing. Uh, I, I I am laying down now, but that's only because it's next to my charger and my phone yeah. is like twenty 
was my phone gave me a <laughs> you're at twenty percent warning. So I was like, I better plug it in. <laughs> Otherwise, I, the call's just gonna drop, and I'm gonna be like, all right, sorry, I guess we're done recording for the night. That, that's, um, our, that's our podcast, folks. He, he he doesn't even feel the need to bring come to come to the table with a phone at least at seventy five percent. But anyways, that page where Hal's doing the ceremony for him. I don't know if it's – I'm assuming it's the same on your copy because I'm looking at the digital one, obviously. Who uh, who has the other bubble on that page? Uh, oh, it was gone. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it should have been and, gone. Yeah, and it's he, then he says, thank you, Correlator Stewart. That bubble is pointing directly yeah, right. at Guy. Yeah, you're right. You're Again, right. who is asleep at the wheel for these things? Who do we blame? Because somebody should catch stuff like this. Uh, but whatever. So, yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, I, I like how both the uh, training situations were resolved. I thought it was – I obviously prefer the Kyle one over the guy one, but the guy one does make sense. So I enjoyed it. Um the uh, scene where them all drinking together, that was kind of cool. I'd like seeing that, but it makes me just long for, like, warriors on Mogo. Uh, so it's, like, it's it's cool to see because it's it reminds me of something I want, but then it reminds me of that something I want, and that I realize it's not fully what I want. <laughs> so, yeah, for but, what you wish for. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, no, I liked it. It was a good issue. Uh, I thought it was a good story arc overall. Yeah, it was pretty uh, good. Yeah. But, um... But yeah. With, I, with, with a lot of these... With a lot of the arcs that we've gotten recently, we know that, you know, it seems like the stuff... The main, the quote-unquote main story is not really the, the main story. <laughs> it's like... The stuff that's kind of, like, distracting us is... is you know the, the training with these guys, but the stuff that's really interesting and relevant has real relevance to what's going forward. Is is all the background stuff with Raimi and the Seven Rings and everything else <laughs> and Volthoom. I mean, that's the stuff that's really interesting. As far as to me, it's interesting from from learning about it, but it's also in, it's in it's relevant and interesting because we know that's all what's going to be factoring into like the next bunch of bunch of issues and in the, in the story arcs we're, we're dealing with. So. Hmm. Uh, anything else to say about this issue? No, I think I did like I did like the I think uh, the Mar- the little the white Martian uh, ring bearer his little background story was certainly more interesting than the uh, third wor- the third uh, third world uh, new gods thing. <laughs> Alitha. Alitha. I like she 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 looks like she could be cool, like I said. But I mean, her back, but the basic background to her just stepping up and no, oh, you can't, we don't want you to go. Oh, that yeah, that's no, that, not that that not that the oh, the one seeking revenge is is unique unto itself either. But but maybe because it was a white Martian, it made it a little more interesting. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about this issue is not necessarily a uh, thing about Green Lantern. It's about one of the ads. Do you have the ad in there for DC Looney Tunes with the interview with Dan DiDio? Uh, see, of course, it's going to be it. Yes, on the on the back, right? It's on the back. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I have read two of the six that are shown here. 
the uh, Legion of Superheroes with Bugs Bunny and the Marvin the Martian with uh, Martian Manhunter. If you got to choose between the two, go with Bugs Bunny and the Legion of Superheroes. That's a whole lot more fun. Um, if you just really like Marvin the Martian specifically, or I guess Martian Manhunter, go ahead and get the, the Marvin the Martian special. But if you just are looking at these on a case-by-case basis, just because you're a general fan of the Looney Tunes in general, maybe the Marvin the Martian one isn't for you. Because uh, I didn't really enjoy it that much. But obviously, that's just one person's opinion, so you do what you want to do. The other ones look really interesting to me. Of the other four, I'm definitely probably going to read the Jonah Hex and Yosemite Sam one. That just looks like a great idea. <laughs> and I mean, according to Dan DeDio's little interview here, uh, supposedly Foghorn Leghorn's in that one as well. <laughs> Evidently, he says, doing his best impersonation of, naturally, Rooster Cogburn. Now, when you think about some of these matchups, now, you have to admit, the Lobo Roadrunner one kind of does make a little sense. <laughs> I know because Dan DiDio says here in this in this interview he says uh, uh, what is it uh, and who's better for Wiley E Coyote to hire than Lobo if he ever truly wants to catch the Roadrunner <laughs> so that that's probably the other one I'm I, you know just based on concept looking at it I was like yeah probably not for me and then I read what Dan DiDio said about what the plot was and I was like ah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to read that one. And you know what's interesting is in all these interviews, uh, these well, this interview, it's just like th- th- four questions. Nobody mentions the Wonder Woman Tasmanian Devil one. That's true. Which is the one I was least interested in. So I guess we'll see. However, it's Tony Bedard who I really enjoy. So I guess we'll see. Uh, Batman and Elmer Fudd, eh, I don't know. Why shouldn't billionaire Bruce Wayne share drinks with millionaire Elmer Fudd? (laughs) Because that doesn't sound like a good plot for a comic book, I guess. But no, uh, I I, I was just bringing this up because I was actually really impressed with the Bugs Bunny uh, uh, Legion one. I, I enjoyed it a lot, so... If you guys have been generally curious about these, at least one so far is is pretty good. And the other one, the Martian Manhunter, Marvin the Martian one, it's good from a certain standpoint. You know, I, I was thinking, I guess this is okay, but I, it would probably be better if I was, you know, really into Marvin the Martian. So I only say that because there's a point where I got kind of annoyed with him. Bite your tongue. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really look for. I mean, as as much as the Lobo one, you know, plot wise intrigues me. Just concept of Jonah Hex and, and Yosemite Sam on the same page. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> I just want to see the look of utter disgust <laughs> on Jonah Hex's face when he realizes he's got to deal with this. <laughs> This uh, forgive forgive the term because I know for some people in the south it's derogatory, but when Jonah Hex realizes he has to deal with this shit kicker, <laughs> oh man, good times. Uh, 
Uh, anything else to say about this story arc? Nah, I think I think I think we've done quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna take a real quick promotional break, and when we come back, uh, we'll have uh, some wrap up and some uh, conversation to go about. I don't know why I'm being vague. Let's just go to break. <laughs> Files. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Ah, after a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio. Wait a minute, that's not a radio, it's... Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plastic Cast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together, we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law, here on the Plastic Cast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Plastic Man! Hello, I'm Pat Sampson, and I would like to invite you to join me on my podcast, The Long Box Crusade. On this podcast, I'm reading through my 20-plus long boxes that I have stored away in my basement. On each episode, I will select a random issue from my collection and take a very highbrow, thoughtful approach to examining these truly American art forms that help to shape our popular culture. Oh, I like comics too. Uh, can I get a comic out of my long box that syncs up with the month and year of the comic from your long box and chat about that too? Oh, oh and video games. Can we talk about games? Or, or maybe James Bond too. I love James Bond. <sighs> Fine. Jared Elbrick, a.k.a. the Yard Sale Artist. We can add some of your comics and enthusiasm to the show. It might help get a deeper introspection of... Did someone say James Bond? I love James Bond. And I love comics too. I can bring a comic from my long box to sync up with you guys. I also love movies and music, even news stories that tie into the time period that match the comic books we review. Uh, this is what I get for inviting both the Albrecht brothers into my show. Jason, how the heck can we fit all that into my deeply intellectual review of... Well, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. Let's cram it all into one podcast. 
Join us on the Logbox Crusade, folks. We'll bounce around in time from issue to issue, pulled randomly from my logboxes, and the Alpert Brothers will bring along issues with the same month and year cover date. We'll talk about the comics and the time period they come from, including... World news of that time. Top 40 music chart toppers. Movies, both good and bad. Maybe even some favorite recipes. Whatever I think is funny. We'll probably have to suffer through things that Jared thinks are funny. We'll jam it all into one pop culture extravaganza, examining the comics in my longbox and the time period surrounding them. Join us for a wild ride through time on the Longbox Crusade podcast as we attempt to read them all. What's in your longbox? All right, guys, we're back from break. Uh, Mark, you saw, you finally saw Wonder Woman, right? I finally saw Wonder Woman last night. Well, I, I and I saw it pretty close to opening weekend. So, uh, but now that you finally saw it, does it live up to the hype? This is, that's a good question. Does it live up to the hype? Is it DC's first really good yeah, yeah, superhero yeah. movie yeah, in a while? Yeah, there, there's there's absolutely no doubt that if you're looking if you if you're looking at the the jamming jamming all the movies from pretty much from Man of Steel going forward, you know, in their in their universe building, this is the most Marvel like movie they put out. So yes, it's, it's absolutely the best one of the group. There's no, it it certainly does not. It feels like it doesn't belong with the others, which is a plus because of the fact that this is it actually stands alone on its own, and it's a good, it's a good, it's a good movie. Do I? So, but but going back to, do I think it lived up to the hype? I will say this: you, you it's real easy for me to go and in, go in to see a movie when they when everybody, but either all the reviews are great and or word of mouth is good, and it's real easy for me to go in and expect expect this to be you know magnificent and then come out disappointed even though I still like the movie. I didn't come out disappointed, so probably I would have to say I probably will say it did live up to the hype on that level. That it didn't um but playing devil's advocate, even though the, there was a lot of hype to the movie, I didn't necessarily buy the hype that I thought it was a little like I thought going in that they probably were embellishing it a little. So maybe that kind of made me go in a, a, tempered my enthusiasm a little bit. So just appreciate the movie on its own, without you know the hype affecting me at all. But if I had to say anything one way or the other definitively, I would say it lived up to it just because I didn't come out feeling disappointed or yeah, I thought I I, I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it worked really well, and I think Gal I think Gal Gadot picked uh, she certainly proved. What you, what you kind of thought was going to happen, or the, the glimmers that you saw in Batman versus Superman, that she could, you know, that she had the presence—not just the look, but she had the presence to be able to be that character. Yeah, I think so. That was that was a plus. That was so. I was I was pretty happy with it, considering. Highest praise I saw for this movie came from a comic fan uh, who's a friend of mine. I, now, keep in mind, I saw this on Facebook, so I can't remember specifically who to attribute this to. Um, and I will say, while I don't 100% agree with him, uh, I will say I pretty closely agree with most of uh, most of this point. He's his praise for this movie was, I have not seen a, I have not seen somebody embody a character. I, I never thought I'd see somebody embody a DC character 
as well as Christopher Reeve did Superman until I saw Wonder Woman. So that's pretty freaking high praise, and I don't necessarily disagree with him. Gal Gadot was Wonder Woman. I, that was really well done, I thought. It was well done. I I would say per- – see, the only, the only thing that makes me kind of not agree with that quote was because I think of Chris Evans as Captain America, and you could also uh, – specific, specific DC character. Oh, was DC? I was DC? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it was just DC, then yeah. DC, it's hard to say anybody's been – you can't You can't really – to me, you can't really point to anybody who's been Batman on any level saying they're, they're absolutely picture perfect across the board. And it's like there's aspect – it's like there's – Kevin and Conroy. <laughs> yeah, but that's a – Which you saying, and, Yeah, and I'm not saying it's not, it's it's – to be derogatory because it's you know it takes skill to be a voice actor, but it's still you know it's it's easier you know it's it's the style you know you have that drawn style and and you just he he certainly uh, embodied you know the persona the persona of Batman, but it was he but he didn't have to look like Batman or look or so it so I. It's kind of like, yeah, I think you kind of put, can put an asterisk on that. That was a good, that was a good point. But if you look at, every, but if you look at everybody who's in the movies who's been Batman. I mean, even the best, the best of them. There's been you, you see elements of, yeah, that's what I would imagine. That's how it would be. But not every. Then I don't know if anyone's been, you know, beat for beat, note for note, perfect. Uh, so yeah. She was, yeah, she she was. There was perfect casting for her, so I agree. Yeah, I liked a lot of the the mascara stuff. I liked a lot of the um, uh, the stuff in London. Uh, you know, for a moment, I was like, when when they showed up in London, I was like, oh man. See, now we're back to this sort of Zack Snyder level dark, you know, kind of visually dark um, plot. But it made sense because of the era in London in which they were. You know, it's not electricity. There's a lot of coal and steam and stuff like that. So it's more of a industrial era London. And it's wartime, too. So it makes sense that visually London would look the way it does. Um, uh but yeah, I, I enjoyed all the stuff on Themyscira. Um I enjoyed all those characters. I, I know I've seen a lot of people um, tweet online or something, or, or sh- I think there was a meme. I don't know. They, they showed pictures of how, like, you know, my princesses have become, uh, you know, badass, kick-ass fighters or whatever. Because what's her name who played? Uh, <sighs> She played uh, Wonder Woman's teacher. Um, her aunt, you mean? I guess yeah, her aunt. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, she was the the Princess Bride, right? No, the two the two the two lead the two females in the movie the other uh, the two main female leads in the movie on on Paradise Island were her mother and and her aunt and her aunt was as I just went blank that her her aunt was Robin Wright. Antiope. Her aunt was Robin Wright, and her, and her mother was Connie Nielsen. Yeah. What was it? Uh, Antiope. What was 
The, you said her name was what? Her the actress? Robin Wright. I believe Robin Wright was her aunt. What was she? That's that's. She was in. Yeah, she was in the Princess Bride. Oh, okay, okay, but she. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was in the Princess Bride. Um, I was like, wait, I thought I could have sworn I had that right. <laughs> See, I've seen Robin Wright in so many things that that's not what, that's not my reference point. So that was my mistake. I don't. I don't. That's not what I think of her as or in. So, but you are correct, sir. Yeah, uh, Robin Wright uh, played the Princess Bride. So, uh, but yeah, there was there was a lot of people talking about you know the obviously the empowerment factor that this movie had for a lot of people. Um, just because I'm from Austin, uh, uh, <laughs> born yes. and raised here, uh, yes. I'm going to tell everybody out there my view on this just real quick. Not necessarily like you know a 30 minute rant or anything, but in my opinion. People freaking out about the women-only screenings for this movie that Alamo Drafthouse did? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, that is the most ridiculous thing to complain about in the entire world. They did not take screenings that already existed and then say, you know, these specific ones are going to be for women. They created more show times. As a matter of fact, if you've ever been to an Alamo Draft House in your life, they are the greatest theater I've ever been to. First and foremost, you can choose your own seats. Fantastic. They serve liquor right to your table, if you'd like, as well as food. And it's not super over-freaking-priced like every other theater in the world. And you can Google this if you want, because there's several different YouTube videos showing these little clips. People who talk on their cell phones or are loud or disruptive during movies, they give them one warning and then they kick them the fuck out without a refund. And that's no joke. Like some people are like, ah, that's funny. They're not really serious about that. Trust, go over to YouTube and look up Alamo Drafthouse voicemail, you know, texter or whatever. Look up those keywords because there's going to be a black, uh, like a, a, a video where – they say, we're serious about kicking people out. As a matter of fact, here's a voicemail from an angry customer, and it's the funniest thing you've ever heard in your life, because I didn't know I was allowed to text in your freaking movie theater like it's some little valley girl type uppity bitch who's, who's all upset because she got kicked out of the theater. They do lip sync sing-alongs, and they do parties, and they do showings, and they do things like Jaws on the Water. I mean, it's the greatest theater ever. I love Alamo Draft House. Their entire outlook on life is fantastic. And the fact that they had women-only screenings wasn't for the sole purpose of excluding people. It, for, it was for empowering people. So you can shut the fuck up about freaking out about these women-only screenings. That is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, they even said on their little page, if you are a woman or identify as a woman, too. So if you're coming at it from the LGBTQ community, you're covered still. So I don't care what you say. Just shut up. <laughs> because how long – I mean, what about men-only screenings? You know, you're not going to do something like that? Guys, 
we've had the floor for, oh, I don't know, how long? I don't even want to give a number. A movie like Wonder Woman comes out, in my mind, let the girls have it. I enjoyed it, and it didn't do a damn thing to me for the women to have their own screening if they want to attend it. As a matter of fact, I've heard stories because guess what, guys? I know people who are managers at Alamo locations in the Austin area. And I don't mean just a manager. I mean like, you know, the the guy that the manager goes to if even the manager can't handle a situation. The, the top tier managers. You know what he told me? There were actually a couple of showings where some guys showed up, not in protest, but because their women weren't aware – or remember or whatever that, it, that the tickets that they bought were a specific women only screening. So they were asked to leave and guess what? The dudes didn't freak out. They're like, Oh, well, whoops, no big deal. And they left. That's it. That's the biggest ruckus that was ever created out of this whole thing. So everybody on the internet who's freaking out, you made a big deal over nothing. Shut up. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and it wasn't a 30-minute rant, but close. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know if you feel completely different about it than I do. Or, or, but what, but I, that's how I feel about it. Like, I, I don't understand the big deal everybody was making about that crap. My, my view on it is this. Number one. It was it's it was very smart. It's clever marketing, and I I don't have an issue with it. I think the point that I don't think a lot of people truly had an issue with it, other than the fact that if the shoe was on the other foot, the same people who think it's all right to have the female only showings would not be saying the same thing if somebody wanted to have a male only showing of of Rocky or something else. That you would they would be called. They would be called misogynistic, or it's wrong, or they shouldn't do that. I, it's just a it's just a, the hypocrisy of the way things are right now. I think that's hmm. I think that's what the I would be willing to bet you the overwhelming majority of people who even pointed it out were just because there were there were people that I saw in posts who at least they say they were they were liberals who said the same thing. It's like I'm not saying it's a wrong thing or I have a problem with it. I'm just saying that. I, it's just that I'm honest enough to admit if, if, some, if guys wanted to have a guy's only showing is something that the same people that think this is great and are telling everybody else to get over it wouldn't be saying the same thing if it was if it was flipped. But but uh, so just to, just to be clear, guys, what I was what I'm saying here the because I'm so close to the situation, not just living in Austin, but the people I know who work at Alamo. I'm not referring to the general comments online. I'm talking to the people who were flipping the fuck out. And I mean making – not like referencing it or and making their own opinions known, but I'm talking about making a big fucking deal about it. That's the – those are the people I'm referring to. That's – I just wanted to clear that up. Go ahead. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Good movie. Go see it. Fantastic! I think I'm going to see it again. Um, I could, I, I wouldn't give you any spoilers anyway. I, I told Mark before we got into the segment. I saw that, and then in between seeing it and recording this episode, I saw Guardians uh, Volume Two for the second time. So that's the most recent movie on my mind right now. <laughs> so, 
but I, I I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. No, it's it's certainly what what DC needed. There's no doubt about that. It's what, what DC and Warner Brothers needed combined. Now, of course, you still have the ele- you still have the question mark what that really means because how much how much does that really matter compared to Justice League? Since we know that even though Snyder got a story credit for Wonder Woman, he didn't direct it and he didn't do the entire script. So he his his imprint on Wonder Woman was a lot less than, certainly than it's been on anything else in the in this in their cinematic universe so far. And now yes, even though for tragic reasons we know Whedon has kind of stepped in and is going to have some influence on the final version of the of Justice League. The question is whether does it how much will it matter that Wonder Woman was really good in the sense that is it really going to have does it really increase the odds all that much that Justice League is going to be better than Batman versus Superman? Does it, does it does it make the odds of that greater? Does it make those odds greater than it was like three months ago? Just because Wonder Woman was big, it certainly gives you momentum. It certainly stops the bleeding. It certainly gives you something to hold your hat, you know, hang your hat on, as opposed to Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, but. It makes your, but the tone of Justice League still looks like a lot. Just even via the trailer, still reminds me a lot more of of Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel than than uh, than Wonder Woman. But we'll see. So, I it certainly helps. It certainly helped. Um, DC stock. Yeah, it, it, like, it, I don't mean like Wall Street stock. Yeah, I know what you meant. You made it figuratively, uh, yeah. or symbolically. You, yeah, you, you, they, they pumped life back into it. And so it, it's certainly what there's. I mean, certainly they're ecstatic about that. It's really gonna. It's and hopefully, while it may not influence Justice League so much, it might have influence going down the road. But again, DC, DC just seems seems to keep making the same mistake that they just keep having all these movies already in production or almost done before one movie comes out so you even know how people are going to react to it and then either you can't do anything about it or you're scrambling to try to take take things that people like from that movie and put it in this movie or things that people hated in that movie you want to take out of this movie so I mean because what they're filming Aquaman now right I believe so yeah. it's so they're kind of they're kind of in the same boat but well, no pun intended. But we will, we will, we will see. Marvel has certainly been better at that. They've they've spa- they've had a better plan. They've had a better spacing. So and they've also made it clear that in a way that each movie is kind of different, or each fran- individual franchise is kind of different. So what 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 goes on in one, while it has ramifications for the other, the tone does not necessarily have to match. But when you're kind of as disheveled and thrown so much against the wall as DC has been, and Warner Brothers has been up to this point, they kind of needs. When you get something that sticks, you kind of like you probably do want to take elements of that. And of course, there are rumors they're trying to put one more Wonder Woman in. I don't really buy that because, I mean, it could be true, but Justice League is not going to rise and fall because there's because you added in like five more, ten more minutes of Wonder Woman. <laughs> Yeah. And people think people think it's a disjointed mess with you know in villains they don't care about and the plot that makes them bunch, makes you want to bang your head against the wall. Then 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 then, then a ten more minutes of look of, of looking at Gal Gadot really is it's going to be nice, but it's really not going to change people's minds. <laughs> so 
But obviously Gal Gadot and, and Ben Affleck are going to be carrying that movie. I mean, I think even more than Henry Cavill, depending on how much he's actually in the movie. And like we've talked, I think we've talked about, I think we've talked about this before. They just damn well better in the next trailer. They better have Superman in the trailer. Because if they don't, they're really going to be shooting themselves in the foot. Because especially since nothing up, I mean, logically we know Superman's going to be in it logically, but to the average person or the non-diehard moviegoer who, or DC fan who follows all the stuff, it's like as much as we do. The fact that they, you know, the fact that all their trailers and their merchandising has been pretty much Superman free, other than they've gotten some pops and things like that. But I mean, everything in your face has just been without Superman. So I think they have to, they have to have in the next trailer, or else they run the risk of people really thinking, oh, maybe Superman's really not in this movie. Yeah. All right. Uh, we had another one other thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, it's got like it's it's almost, you know it's weird because it's 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 I don't want it to be self-serving, but you know what I mean, right? It just seems it's no, kinda, no, it, it's it, it makes kinda, sense. It's it's just kind of odd to, uh, um. As obviously anybody who's personally friends with me on Facebook would already kind of know, probably know where I'm going with this, and because they probably saw my post during the week. And if not, some just by listening to this podcast and some of the spinoffs too, I think when Jim and I do pre-birth, that I've mentioned my friend Chuck uh, Chuck Williams before on because he's usually the one I see a lot of these superhero movies and with in general. Just do a lot of stuff with because he's pretty much I I. I knew Chuck since 1993, so we were just a hair under probably 25 years of being friends. So I, he unfortunately passed away Sunday night slash Monday morning. I think technically it was Monday morning by the time um, they called it. Um, so I just wanted to mention the fact that you know he was he was my best friend. I'm really going to miss him. His loss is going to be greatly felt. With a lot of people, and that's his the little the little service the the wake slash funeral mostly a wake they had for him on Wednesday, kind of was the fact that the you could tell by the way everybody how many people were there and how people were reacting that he had a lot of he had that effect on people, and it's really kind of it's still kind of surreal as I'm sitting here now because uh, it's like a today's actually a week since I saw him last last time we went out was a week ago Friday. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Chuck, and I love you, man, and I'm gonna miss you. And it's I, I appreciated everything you did for me, and I certainly hope I was as good a friend to you as you were to me. And I think that's all I have to say about that. All right, yeah, uh, I already expressed my condolences to you, but I just wanted to reiterate those. Here, I, so. I, I appreciate that. Um. You want to go ahead and wrap us up then? Yeah, I'll wrap us up. Uh, best way to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Our website, lanterncast.com. Latest episodes, Ringcyclopedia episodes, pretty much everything we have, it's there or will be there at some point. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on either of those. iTunes and Stitcher. Whichever platform you listen to us on, since we're on both, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, voicemail, 708 Lantern. Give us your thoughts on this episode, what you want to hear, possible, just in general feedback. We haven't gotten as much feedback lately as we would like. Uh, and I think that's it. And obviously, so 
we should we should pat ourselves on the back a little bit, I think, because as we speak, even though yes, one issue of Green Lantern Core of Cal and the Core and Green Lanterns has come out since, from a story from a story arc perspective, as as we wrap up this this episode, we are caught up. <laughs> we are not be, we are not behind in any arc. We technically are only behind as we speak in what, what we're going to be one book of one Green Lanterns behind and two of two of Hal and the Core once the issue comes out next week. But still, so big, big shout out and thanks to Corwin and Jim. You <laughs> well, yes, that that is true too, but. Uh, shout out to you and I from the point of view that, that clearly this part is self-serving, I suppose. <laughs> the fact that uh, the fact that we have actually stuck to recording pretty much almost every week for like the last month or month and a half. We certainly have had a, an episode recorded one way or the other. So that has enabled us to get to the point as we roll into July that we're going to actually have a little, probably some opportunities soon to be able to do something other than current issue review episodes and obviously Chad's going to have a spin-off episode soon too. Jim and I still have to record one, but we're going to have pre-birth soon, but we are we've done a good job of catching up and as now that we we're only 15 episodes away from the magic uh 300. That's right. All right guys, we'll uh we'll let you go and we'll talk to you later. Good night everybody. Good night.